Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. Uh, NFL football season has begun, but we don't care about that. We are a college basketball podcast. Uh, and we, we, this episode, we have to talk about, uh, the WCC. Uh, it won the Twitter poll hands down easily. The, uh, preseason number one team in the country comes from this league. So, I think we have to talk about this league and uh, what better time than now. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of NFL football, though, let me tell you, uh, having Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, and Mike Evans on the same fantasy team, not ideal for because uh, they combined for about eight fantasy points. So, uh, you know, I'm still a little upset about that. I would have expected more out of, like, my, three of my first five picks. But, you know, that's fantasy football for you. And if you ever need fantasy football advice, don't ask me because I'm terrible. Yeah, I, I think uh, we play each other this week in fantasy football. So yeah, I'm in like three different leagues. I think that one, the league we're in, in that one, I, I feel like that team did even worse than the one I was just talking about. All my teams are terrible. Yeah, I I have like a money league one, and then uh, this one. So mm-hmm. th- this one I got uh, annihilated by yeah. your league champion. Yeah, in that one I have uh, Rogers and. That didn't work out well. Yeah, although he plays Detroit. Yeah, let's hope let's hope the tide turns a little bit there because I can't afford many one point performances out of my quarterback. Yeah, my other league I won by fifty points. So. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't win in fantasy football, so I don't know what that feels like, but I'm sure I'm sure it's uh, yeah. quite a good feeling. Yeah, it helped. I had. T- Tyler Lockett and Debo Samuel. That was mm, a Debo Samuel. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see you. Yeah, that works. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna give up on fantasy football and just add Mark Bidel and Mo Ali Cox and uh, Demetrius Harris, Chris Manhurts, all the guys who are tight ends that played college basketball. They're all gonna be on my fantasy team, and that's all I'm gonna have. I'm just gonna drop everybody else. Can you still have Antonio Gates on it? I don't think so. I, if I could find a way, I would though. Jimmy Graham is Jimmy Graham still in the league, isn't he? Isn't he on the Bears? I'll let Jimmy Graham probably. Too. Mark Vidal, he he might get uh, two rings in one year because he signed with the Chiefs. Exactly, he's on the Chiefs yeah. practice squad. Yeah. What a year for Mark Vidal. I mean, if he ends up like getting called called up, and that's a weird term for football, but I guess that's how it works too. Uh, but uh, gets called up from the practice squad. And then ends up, I, I guess even if he's just on the practice squad, he gets a ring. But Mark yeah. Vidal, you know, he's going he's to win an NFL championship Super Bowl ring and an NCAA tournament championship ring in one calendar year just about. So that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, I'm, I'm a little jealous. Yeah. You can't get better than that. No, I mean, just, I. but how, how like, obvious was that going to be that Mark Vidal is playing in the NFL? That's the most obvious thing of all time. Like, he was never playing in the NBA. I'm sorry. It just is yeah. what it is. And he's a good basketball player, but it was obvious he was going to play football. Just because, yeah. like, his skill set, like, he has great hands, he's fast, and but he's 6'5", and can't shoot the three. And he was pretty yeah. much, you know, a 4 slash 5. That was never going to work in the NBA these days. Yeah. I mean, if and he was, seen... like, 6'8", he would have probably made mm. but Yeah, he's like a glue guy. But 6'5", yeah. I mean, he's he's a guard, essentially, 
uh, height-wise, but doesn't have any guard skills. So that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, if he could, if Vital could shoot, could have shot like 37% from three, he'd be in the NBA, but. I think he shot 37% from the foul line, so not exactly the same thing, but yeah. close. Yeah, all he, he needed shot, to do was he uh, shot shoot. 50%. My bad, 50%. That's not bad. Yeah, uh, but, you know, he, he was an expert uh, at jumping up and, like, back tapping and. A great rebounder. Great on the great offensive rebounder. glass. Like, I went back and rewatched that Baylor-Gonzaga game, which I guess we'll get into Gonzaga here right after this. But, man, he was all over the place on the offensive glass. And, like, just that game, I mean, Baylor's plan was so obvious. They were setting high ball screens all game, and they were just getting all their guards switched on to Drew Timmy, and they just drove right past him. Yeah. It was, it was like a – I think the thing is Baylor was – so prepared for that game that when it finally come they came they were just like here's what we're gonna do we're just gonna here's our strategy we're just gonna go right at Drew Timmy we're gonna uh, put the hit them in the pick and roll we're gonna crash the offensive glass and uh, I think they just have kind of like out tough Gonzaga and uh, Gonzaga was shook and never really came back so. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it it was just kind of crazy. Like, it's almost like Gonzaga went zone late in that first half, and it worked for a period there. And then Macy O.T. got in the middle of that zone, and he was hitting those mid-range shots. But it's just kind of crazy. Just like, it's almost like, I'm not going to say Gonzaga wasn't prepared, but it's just like they knew what they were going to do, and they just couldn't stop it. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I I think the thing is we kind of transitioned a Gonzaga here, who uh, is our WCC favorite, who would have thought that. I think the thing Gonzaga might need this year, and I I think they'll get a little bit more, is get a test early in the season. Like, they play Texas early in the season. That could be a test. Uh, I know they have some other challenging games on the uh, schedule, but getting – Tested is just a huge thing because, you know, you when a team like you have a high level team like, you know, Baylor, they're going to attack your weaknesses. They know what your weaknesses are and they can kind of expose that. But if you get tested early in the season, you you see a team may maybe you lose a game early in the season. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously you'd love to go undefeated, but if you you know, for whatever reason, you lose a game early in the season, it's not the worst thing because you kind of get to learn from that, uh, get to feel the pressure of getting tested. So uh, getting a couple, you know, challenges early in the season as everyone's kind of coming together uh, could, in the long run, be better because, like, last season, Gonzaga just, their, their one game where they had a chance of losing prior to the NCAA tournament was BYU, and uh, all BYU did was just shoot like 70% from three in the first half, and that's why they were... The most unsustainable thing I've ever seen. I mean, they were making like the most ridiculous shots of all time, and I was just like, yeah, that's not going to last, and it didn't, so... Yeah. But that's not to say they didn't have a test, though. I mean, West Virginia... That was their closest game of the regular season. Yeah. They gave them a real test. That game was close with time elapsing. And that like that was a close game. 
and they were able to win. I mean, I think I agree with you in a sense that getting tested is important, but at the same time, I think what Baylor did exposing the weakness there of, you know, Drew Timmy's defense against non-big men and even his defense just in general because he's not a very good defender was really exposed there. And I think other teams this season are going to really try to attack that, try to get Timmy switched onto their guards and try exposing that weak spot there. So that's something Gonzaga's going to have to prepare for. And Timmy defensively, I'm sure that's what he really worked on this offseason, getting you know, quicker and get being able to stay with guards at least a little bit so they're not driving right past you. Yeah, just kind of uh, being able to, if you're Drew Timmy, if a guard drives at you, just kind of staying even to the side of the guard because you, you he is 6'10", like most of the guards he'll probably face are like 6'3", 6'4", uh, at most, probably shorter. So, I mean, if you're even to the side, uh, just don't let the guard get past you because if if you're like if a guard's driving and you're like right alongside him, you you have a long wingspan, you can still block the shot. But if you let the guard just get right by you, I mean you can't do anything with that. Uh, so I I think defensively, just getting a little bit quicker would be huge for Drew Timmy. Uh, and then you know they, Chet Holmgren's gonna I think. Chet Holmgren playing with Drew Timmy is going to help a little bit defensively because Drew Timmy, like last year, was the only center. So if you know a guard drives by him, there's not that secondary defender. But now you have Chet Holmgren, who uh, is seven feet with a twelve foot eight wingspan or something like that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously Drew Timmy is going to be the runaway preseason national player of the year unless you take like Johnny Juzang or something which I don't agree with or uh Hunter Dickinson maybe Kofi Coburn I think it's clearly Drew Timmy he was fantastic last year with Philip Petrusev out of the mix Timmy's footwork is impeccable inside he's a really good ball handler for his size and I think this year he's going to show off an improved jumper he can hit a mid-range shot even hit a few threes last year but didn't look overly comfortable when he was in that situation. If he could show off that he can hit a wide-open three, that would go a long way for his game. Andrew Nemhard's back, and, you know, I'll say this. If Andrew Nemhard doesn't play last year, I don't think Gonzaga goes 31-0 before the national title game. I think his addition was very underrated, and he was a guy that was going to sit out last year. He was cool with sitting out, but everybody ended up being able to play, so that worked in his favor. Rosier Bolton comes in from Iowa State. He was a 15-point-per-game scorer in the Big 12. I think his addition is very underrated, too. I mean, he could be the kind of guy, he's more talented scoring-wise, I feel like, overall, than, like, an Aaron Cook. But he's the kind of guy that can produce, and if you need a six-man off the bench, or he could even start, and late in the game, if you need a bucket, and, you know, Nemhard and Timmy aren't having a good game, Holmgren, you can go to you can go to Razier Bolton. He's gonna go get a bucket. Hunter Salas, another top ten recruit. Chet Holmgren, as you said, he's gonna be a top five pick next season, no matter what. Almost, he can block shots. He can shoot the three. He runs the floor like a guard. He just does everything. He's super skinny, sure, but I think at this level, that's not gonna be much of a concern because he can play anywhere. You can play him on the ball if you wanted to. I don't really think that's gonna happen much for this team, but if you wanted to, you could play him on at at the one probably. He, he's just a different kind of player, and he's one of the more transcendent talents we've seen in college basketball in quite a while. But the thing about this Gonzaga team is the bench because you have a handful of guys who are former top sixty recruits that'll probably never play next year. I mean, maybe like five minutes a game in a thirty point blowout against San Diego. 
but like Ben Gray, Caden Perry, Julian Strother, and Dominic Harris. Like those are four guys that were top 60 recruits that probably start for 310 teams in the country next year. But on Gonzaga, they're barely going to play. That just speaks to how deep the Zags team is. And top to bottom, I think this team is more talented than last year's team. And last year, I said I think they're going to be unbeaten national champions. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I do think they're going to lose at some point this season just because of how deep the WCC is this year. It's much improved from last year. But Gonzaga overall is, again, an elite team. And I think they're going to make another run at the Final Four. Will this be the year they finally get over the hump and win the national title? I think they could. Yeah. I, I think they're, I mean, they're the preseason, going to be the preseason number one team for a reason. It's because they they return, I think Drew Timmy ended up being a first-team All-American, and then they add in the number one recruit in the 247 composite, Chet Holmgren. You pair that with Andrew Nimhard, who, you know, I'm, I'm not, like, the hugest Andrew Nimhard fan. Like, I don't think he's a transcended talent at the guard position but he's he's a very solid guard he's gonna probably get you around uh 15 points per game he's gonna shoot like 34 35 percent like he's you think he's scoring 15 a game i i think he maxes out at that i i i could see like 13 5 and 6 and i think that could be good enough to get him like an all-american honorable mention but like nemhard's defense is really important too yeah and you, what we can't forget about a guy like Nemhard is this is a guy who has started all but 16 games in his career and they were all last season but he still played over 30 minutes a game last year this is a guy who's played a lot of college basketball yeah but I, I think you're you're kind of limited in what he can do he's not an elite three-point shooter, but he runs the point he's very solid at that doesn't really turn the ball over so you have him kind of running the point and then I think the kind of high upside swings with Hunter Salas, Nolan Hickman, we don't necessarily know what you're going to get, but Hunter Salas, he could run some point known as a combo guard. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily going to get a huge responsibility. I think he'll probably try to, they'll probably try to have him play off the ball, uh, but he's, you know, a pretty good athlete, can shoot a little bit. So you have that, you have Nolan Hickman who uh, can, you know, maybe run some point. You have Razier Bolton who comes in and can score. You have Anton Watson still returning for another season. Uh, he He's pretty good defender. He will come off the bench. I don't think he's going to necessarily blow you away, but he's going to come in, uh, I think, probably playing off the bench. He'll block shots. He'll rebound. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, physical. He's a, you know, really good addition. Then you have like sophomore breakout potential with Dominic Harris, Julian Strother. Uh, don't exactly know what exactly you'll get out of those two, but I mean, they're solid pieces. So you, you look up and down the roster, that's a solid nine man rotation. You can get Caden Perry, you know, some minutes, Ben Gregg is, you know, a high upside type swing, probably a year or two away. But uh, just with this Gonzaga team, there's just a, depth of talent they're going to win the WCC by multiple games uh, I hope they get challenged especially early in the season uh, that way you can kind of you know, I think it getting challenged early in the season is going to be big for them knowing what to do when there is pressure maybe you drop a game here or there uh, but in the long run I think this Gonzaga team 
there's a reason why they're the preseason number one team. It's because they have the most talent on the roster. They fit the best uh, in terms of roster, and uh, they should be considered the favorites to win the national championship. Does that mean they're necessarily going to win it? Uh, you know, anything can happen in March, but uh, Gonzaga certainly, I think, has the best chance to win the national championship at any team in college basketball. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I like about this Gonzaga team is just the different lineup combinations they can go to. I mean, I have the starting lineup as Nemhard, Bolton, Salas, Holmgren, and Timmy, but I honestly have no idea what their starting lineup's going to be. I mean, it could go uh, Hickman, Nemhard, Salas, Hol- uh, Holmgren, and Timmy. You can start Holmgren at the three and put Watson in the lineup at the four. There's just so many different ways you can go, but that's part of why this Gonzaga team's so good. But my final thoughts on Gonzaga is just... I think it's ridiculous how often they get slandered because they play San Diego and Portland and uh, Pacific, who aren't very good teams. Pacific, I mean, they won, like, a lot of games last year, close to 20. Not 20. They they won a good amount of games last year, and Pepperdine and all that. But at the same time, you have to consider that they're beating these teams handily every single game. And even when they play high-major opponents, they beat them too. So I think that at this point – if you don't believe in Gonzaga, you just don't want to look at the facts. And that that is what it is. But if you're looking at the facts and comparing Gonzaga's resume to other teams, Gonzaga is head and shoulders one of the best programs in the country every single year. Yeah. And like, I, like I'll say this, like most of the people that would say Gonzaga is a fraud, they'll never win a national championship. They're probably not listening to this podcast because they're, they're the typical, like, big football guy who comes in and watches March Madness is like, oh, Gonzaga, they don't play anyone. They don't deserve to be a top four seed. They they always choke in March Madness. It's like, they don't really choke in March Madness. That's one of the biggest, like, fallacies. I think that's the right word there. uh, In, like, all of college basketball, the idea that they choke – in March Madness because they haven't won a national title despite getting the Sweet 16 virtually every single season in the last decade and, you know, getting to the Final Four twice, getting the national championship twice in the last five years. Not, I don't think, I mean, just thinking off the top of my head, has any other team in the country been to the Final Four twice in the last five years? Has it been five years? Yeah, I get the last five tournaments. They've been there, I mean, even, I guess, calendar five years. Has any other team done that? I mean... Off the top of my head, I don't think so. Not that I can think of off the top Definitely of my head. Definitely not national champ. Oh, Villanova? That might be six years, what? though. Yeah, that's six years. So, no, none in the last five years besides Gonzaga, which tells you all you need to know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they are – they're they're not chokers in March Madness. Uh, they're – you know, a good team. And I think the kind of thing that's underrated here uh, with this team is you mentioned the talented depth, uh, the the ability to kind of, you know, switch lineups if a matchup isn't working. I think last year, while they were, you know, just absolutely dominant, they only had like six players you could really count on because Aaron Cook, who was like their seventh man, he wasn't necessarily, you know, doing it a lot of games, and that was a problem. So, uh, just having the ability to kind of say, you know, what we we, you know, this lineup isn't working. Let's put in, you know, three new guys here, and 
see what happens. I think doing that will be beneficial because uh, you know just having the talent to, at depth, uh, it's certainly big. And I think you know in a scenario where Gonzaga falls down, you know, big early in the season, you can sub people in and say, okay, well, here's what we need to focus on with this lineup. Here's the type of players that will work with this lineup. Uh, let's, you know, get it done. Let's get back in the game. And I, you know, while Gonzaga was fantastic, they had a fantastic six man rotation, seven, eight, nine, ten in the rotation, uh, didn't really get enough uh, play early in the season. I think that could be a thing where Mark Few says, you know what, this maybe we need to spend a few games just developing the depth that talent. Yeah, I agree for sure. Uh, moving on, uh, our next team, BYU. They were number six seed in the NCAA tournament, lost to UCLA, who everyone but Gonzaga did in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they bring back Alex Barcelo. It was kind of a, you know, question of he whether he would be back, but he is back. Uh, they bring back Caleb Lohner, uh, Tevin Keel. They add in Tejon Lucas. Gideon George is back. So, I mean, this is a talented uh, BYU team who has, I think, a lot of, you know, options with the lineup. You have Gavin Baxter uh, back in the mix, and – you know, I think BYU, you're looking at a pretty solid team. Yeah, what Mark Pope's been able to do at BYU in his two seasons is pretty remarkable. I mean, two years ago, they would have been a five or a six seed had the tournament happened. And I think they were a dark horse Final Four team just because of the way that team was clicking on all cylinders. They beat B- they beat Gonzaga uh, at home. What a what an atmosphere that game was, by the way. That was awesome. And then last year, obviously, they were just really solid the entire year, and it just felt like they were falling under the radar for most of the season. You do lose Brandon Averett, who's replaced by Tejon Lucas from Milwaukee, started his career at Illinois. Lucas is not a shooter at all. But he's a really good table setter, can make plays. He'll be able to find Alex Barcelo on the perimeter, and they can kind of split ball handling duties. And then Gideon George, I mean, he's a guy, if you look at his stats, he had five and about four last year, four rebounds, five points. But he's a much more talented player, and he does a lot more than that would say. He's a great defender, can guard all five positions. He has a wingspan ranging over seven feet. And, you know, I think he's a much better shooter than his numbers will indicate last year. Uh, I would like to see what he does this year as a senior started his career at, at a junior college, but I think he's in for a pretty big year this year. Could average double figures and points, five or six rebounds. I think that could be in store for him. Caleb Lohner had a very solid freshman season. But the biggest thing for me is Matt Harms was such a great shot blocker for this team last year, and they just don't have that right now. Richard Harward has never played more than about 15 minutes a game, and he's not a shot blocker. Gavin Baxter Never healthy. Hopefully he can stay healthy this year. Also not a shot blocker. So that leaves you two options. Uh, Fus Traore, who is a very underrated recruit. He's 6'7", but plays a lot bigger. He is probably the best shot blocker on the roster. And Atiki Ali Atiki, another freshman coming in this season. Uh, but I think Traore is the best option for blocking shots. But on this team, there's not going to be a lot of blocked shots. They don't have Matt Harms. And they, I believe they tried to add some guys from the portal who could fill that spot and block some shots. They couldn't find the right fit, which leaves them relying on two freshmen. I think Atiki and Fus Traore should play pretty solid roles at some point. I don't know which one will emerge. I would bet on it being Traore this season because of his defensive ability and block shot blocking ability. But that could be an issue for this team down the line. If you know, block shots are always important, and post defense is important. 
if they don't have that post defense, they could be in trouble against some of the bigger teams in the conference. So I'd like to see how that plays itself out. But this team also has pretty solid depth. You had Seneca Knight, who transferred to LSU last year, uh, midseason from San Jose State, when was, was one of the top scorers in the Mountain West a few years ago. Spencer Johnson can shoot the ball. Trevin Nell can shoot the ball. So there's some depth on this team and a lot of talent. Definitely a tournament team. Not ranked in my top 25, probably a top 35-ish team. But I think this is a very talented team with a lot of experience. The shot blocking is an issue for me, but I think that they're going to be back in the tournament once again. Yeah, I think about probably a little bit higher on BYU in terms of their ranking. I, I do think they'll uh, sneak into my top 25. They're, they're, they're like 25 to 30, though. But, uh, yeah, it, with BYU, I mean, Alex Barcelo, I think, is a really underrated player. Uh, could be an All-American candidate if you're looking for – if you're saying, oh, the who's going to be the WCC player of the year that isn't on Gonzaga, which are, are the candidates? It is going to be uh, Alex Barcelo. He's the best non-Gonzaga player in this conference. But, yeah, with Barcelo, he can shoot it. Uh, he's a good passer. He's a good scorer. So, I mean, that's he, – he really does all that you want. Out of a point guard, and the other thing too, you have Tejon Lucas who can kind of play that Brandon Everett uh, role, just kind of move Barcel off the ball a little bit. He can score it, so I think that's a kind of good dual point guard uh, combination. You have Caleb Loner who will probably play a lot of minutes at the four. He can stretch it out. Six uh, eight was really good as a freshman. I think will be even better as a sophomore. Uh, you have Spencer Johnson who, as you mentioned, can space the floor and elite three points too. So uh and Trevin Knell can also shoot the ball. So I mean you're looking at the guard position, this is a really good overall team. At the wings, I mean you have Caleb Loner, you have uh Trevin Knell, Spencer Johnson, Gideon George, who's a high upside play. Uh you know, just uh, ultimately will come down to, you know, the the bigs, Richard Hardward uh, Gavin Baxter, we'll see if we get out anything out of those two. But uh, just in terms of guards and wings, I mean, this this is a team that matches up really well. Uh, you know, if you were saying which team might have the best guards slash wings, I mean, you could argue BYU, you know, one through three maybe has you know better you know position than even Gonzaga, but uh, the the big the bigs inside, that's a major question mark, and that's where I don't think they'll be able to beat Gonzaga. I think they will probably play twice. They will probably lose twice because Drew Timmy will just eat the eat their lunch inside, and Chet Holmgren will do the same. Uh, but, I mean, BYU, they're, they're going to be a solid team. Uh, if they get the right matchups in the NCAA tournament, they can, of course, make it a deep run, make a Sweet 16, Elite 8. Uh, they're that – capable of doing that but uh, certainly an interesting team to watch this season yeah I definitely think they'll have trouble with like Gonzaga this season especially because how big Gonzaga is and the lack of post presence defensively BYU has so that could definitely be an issue like I, I mentioned earlier but uh yeah I think BYU is definitely going to be in the tournament again they could win a couple games and Alex Barcelo you know it's one of BYU's final years in the in the WCC and Barcelo could be in the conversation for WCC Player of the Year. I doubt that'll happen because of Drew Timmy, but, uh, you know, 
Maybe they'll, maybe they'll get one more WCC player of the year before they're gone. Yeah. And then uh, they're going to be off to the, the Big 12, which might happen. Is it this year or next year? 23-24. Okay. So we still got one more year of BYU. But Al Sparzell is the probably last player that can win the award. Oh, yeah, for sure, probably. Maybe. We'll see. Well, Drew Timmy's returning next year too. To uh, I hope so. Another WCC Player of the Year. He wants to go back to back National Player of the Years. I am in. All right. Next up, we have Loyola Marymount. Uh, this is a team. They finished third in the standings uh, last season. I don't know what their seed was for the WCC tournament because they did that weird, but they returned pretty much everyone. Uh, Kelly Lepau, Lepepe, uh, Leo Pepe, Leo Pepe. Um, Le- yeah, he's, he's a fun player to watch. Uh, you have Eli Scott, who's an elite scorer. This is just a fun team. I think you, you, you're someone who thinks this is a team that can make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I I agree. I think if the WCC gets three bids, I mean, I think they, all of these next three teams that we'll talk about uh, could make it. But Loyal Marymount is going to be a good team. Stan Johnson has certainly done a good job, and Eli Scott uh, has kind of transformed himself into being a you know first team All Conference type player this year. Yeah, Eli Scott is incredibly strong inside, attacks the glass and can just, you know, back you down. He can hit a mid-range. He does a lot of different things. But one of the more underrated things he did this offseason was put on his recruiting hat and made a big addition, which, I mean, I'm assuming he held big time here, adding Cam Shelton from Northern Arizona, a guy who can score with both hands at the rim. I mean, very easily can switch and switch hands, which not everybody can do. I mean, that's a very underrated skill set to finish with both hands at the at the basket. Uh, but he can shoot the ball. He can make plays. He's a very good player, and I think he's going to be one of the best players in the WCC this season. But the connection between him and Eli Scott goes back years here. I mean, they were teammates at Chino Hills High School for a couple seasons, which they were also teammates with the Ball the Ball brothers, all three of them, and uh, Onyeka Okongwu is now on the Hawks and played for USC uh, in college. So there is a lot of things there, and I think Eli Scott being close friends and teammates with Cam Shelton back in high school really helped him uh, bring his former teammate to Loyola Marymount because he was also considering USC – BYU and a number of other schools that were really trying to get him and instead he ends up at Loyola Marymount who really changes what they can do because they lacked a true go-to guard last year now they finally have that with Cameron Shelton averaged 19 points per game at Northern Arizona so I think he's going to be a big time player this season one of the more underrated transfers but another underrated transfer is Alex Merrick Veladze coming in from Cal State Northridge he averaged 10 and 7 last year but he's 6'9 Runs the floor well and can absolutely shoot the ball. Lights out from deep. Great size, great shooting. Brings a lot to the table. And then a couple freshmen that are pretty under the radar. David Elliott being one of them. He's a lights out shooter. James Nobles and Lamage Lewis, three guys I would really look out for. David Elliott especially. He's in a carve out a role because of his shooting ability. Damian Douglas and Joe Quintana should join Cam Sheldon, Eli Scott, and Kelly Leo Pepe in the starting lineup. Quanny Marble coming in from Wyoming. Gary Harris coming in from Siena. Uh, Ivan Alipiev is back. Jalen Anderson is back on the bench 
So this is a relatively deep team with a really good up-and-coming coach in Stan Johnson. Cam Shelton and Eli Scott should be two of the better players in the conference, and I think this is a tournament-caliber team. They obviously have to do their job in the non-conference and beat the teams that they're supposed to beat, and maybe add a couple solid wins in that mix. They play Nevada early in the season, which is a which is a matchup I am ecstatic to see. I mean, it's going to be on the road, so Loyola Marymount going into Nevada to face Grant Sherfield in that loaded Wolfpack roster is one of the early season matchups I cannot wait for. So that's going to be a big-time litmus test for this Lions roster who hasn't made the NCAA tournament in 31 years. Yeah, 31 years. Could be zero years uh, this year. Uh, yeah, with, it, with this team, I mean, obviously, wing at Nevada would be – Huge getting a quadrant one there, but uh, you know Eli Scott is going to continue doing what he does. He's a just good overall score night, you know three point threat, but he's going to uh, give it to you inside, and uh, he's going to score at a high rate. I think bringing in a player like Cameron Shelton, who has a little bit more uh, ability to score at the guard position, while uh, Joe Quintana, like he's a he's a good shooter, not really someone would you know throw the ball into and say, go make a play. I think Cameron Shelton kind of can do that. And then you have Kelly, Leah Pepe, uh, Demain Douglas. Uh, I mean, they're going to be solid players. Uh, Douglas can uh, stretch out a little bit. Uh, Le Pepe can stretch out. I mean, all, all these guys can kind of shoot it a little bit from three. Uh, and then, you know, adding a player like Alex Mark Vildese or Mark Veladze. Veladze. Yeah. Yeah. He he can come in and kind of play minutes. Uh, You know, maybe match up a little bit against like a Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren uh, type of, you know, matchup. So, I mean, with this loyal Marymount team, Stan Johnson has done a fantastic job just accumulating talent and then developing these players, uh, having them improve. I think you're going to see Cameron Shelton come in and be a you know big time scorer. I think with Pepe, uh, Eli Scott, you're going to kind of anticipate similar type results. I think Quintana can kind of be a good stretch out player. Uh, Douglas can you know be a secondary third uh, wing scorer for this team. And I, I, overall, well, Marymount, uh, you're looking at this team. I think they will probably still. Miss the NCAA tournament. I think they'll be just on kind of that wrong side of the bubble. But uh, to have them even in the NCAA tournament conversation, I think that would be absolutely huge for this team. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. Like I said, 31 years. The last time they made the tournament was during uh, the Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers uh, days there when they were really took over college basketball. And I wrote about that, you know, that was been 31 years, and this team could be the one that finally gets over the hump. Check that out. Uh, maybe I'll tweet about it again here at some point. I'll put it in my WCC preview. But this is a team that I think is making the NCAA tournament. It won't be easy. I think they're a bubble team for sure. But can they be in a 10 or 11 seed? I think so. I, this is a good team with a lot of experience and a lot of depth. And Stan Johnson is one of the better up-and-coming head coaches in college basketball, which is a trend in this conference. You have two very experienced, great head coaches with Mark Few, and I guess we could just lead this into the next team here, Randy Bennett at St. Mary's, and then uh, Stan Johnson and uh, Todd Golden at San Francisco. But, you know, St. Mary's, they 
had on the surface for them they had a bad season, but they still made the NIT and competed very well with Western Kentucky in that first round of the NIT. And had they changed a few, if they lost like a one less game, they're probably more in the mix for the NCAA tournament. And this was a team that was just so boring last season. Like, like St. Mary's always plays a super, like I say that as nicely as possible. They always play like a very de- deliberate kind of boring pace. But last year, I mean, it was incredibly boring, but that's what they do. They'll lull you to sleep. They will play extremely slow and catch you off guard, and you can never sleep on a Randy Bennett-led Gales team. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, St. Mary's, I mean, they they bring back a lot of pe- pretty much everyone from uh, their main rotation. Uh, Logan Johnson will continue to, I think, probably lead the team in scoring. Uh, you know, Tommy Cousy was kind of decent last year, especially stepping in and playing a bigger role, running the show at the point guard. Uh, he was decent, uh, average five assists per game, which is good. Matthias Toss was, you know, solid inside. Dan Fautu kind of did his role at the wing. Yet Alex Dukas uh, was, you know, a solid player. So, I mean, this is a St. Mary's team. Randy Bennett brings everyone back, and when he does that, usually the team gets a little bit better. Uh, the defense is going to be really good. I think this is the – it might be the second-best defensive team. I think Gonzaga will be the best defensive team in the league, but I would definitely say, like, second-best defensive team in the league is St. Mary's. And, you know, they'll they'll win a lot of games. Uh, I don't know if they're an NCAA tournament team, but – I mean, they're pretty. They're a pretty good team. Yeah, they were pretty atrocious shooting the ball last season, only twenty nine percent, which is the worst three point shooting percentage for a St. Mary's team since two thousand two, which was Randy Bennett's first season at St. Mary's. They shot twenty seven percent. And funny enough, according to Ken Palm's rankings here, they were three hundred twenty seventh in three point percentage that year, and they were three hundred twenty seventh in three point percentage this past season. So that's pretty interesting when you look at it. That was a big issue. I mean, they were 178th in Ken Palm's offensive efficiency and 13th defensively, which is really a change of pace from what they normally are. I mean, they're typically around like top 20 offensively and top 70 defensively, but they just didn't have the shooting last year. And part of the problem was their best shooters were hurt. Lemmett Bockler was a freshman who got hurt early in the season and was just done after January injury got him. And Alex Dukas missed a long period of time with injury also. So that left their best shooter really as Dan Fotu, who didn't make any threes his second season of college basketball, but made 20 in his freshman year. I think he was a very key piece of what they did last year also. But that shooting was a big problem. But I don't think it'll be as much of an issue this year because Fotu, 31% last year. Can he shoot 33 34% this year? Uh, he's serviceable from the three-point line at the very least. Alex Dukas, he's going to be more healthy, hopefully, and he could be a close to 40% guy from outside. Lemmit Bockler, I mentioned him earlier. He shot 42%, 11 for 26, six foot six freshman, 3 and D guy, and he's going to be an absolute assassin as a spot-up shooter. Catch-and-shoot guy who can just get buckets. I'm very excited to see how Bockler's game progresses. Judah Brown is another guy I'm interested in. 27% from deep last year and didn't play a whole lot. He only scored double figures in one game last year, but it was against Gonzaga, and he scored 16 points. So he could be another shooting shooting option. Quinn Clinton, another shooting option. Jabe Mullins, who's one of the top recruits in program history, I think could also figure to get a bigger role. 
Matthias Toss, as you mentioned, had a good season, and Tommy Cousy. Again, this is the kind of guy, like, when you see those videos of, like, Adam Sandler playing basketball, which seems to be, like, a big thing on the Internet the past couple weeks, that's what Tommy Cousy is going to be doing in 20 years. I mean, this isn't a guy that is going to go, you know, out-athlete guys. He's not going to drain drain a three right in your face. Maybe he'll hit an open three, but he is going to just – play a, a brand of basketball that he's fundamentally sound he makes good passes and he does like this weird pivot move inside where he frees himself up he fakes guys out he's just he's just a fun player to watch despite not being really athletic at all former walk-on he's just the kind of guy that rolls into an LA fitness in 15-20 years and just destroys everybody that's what Tommy Cousy is and he's one of the top players in this conference and, you know, St. Mary's, I think, is a good team. I mean, I just, you can't doubt what Randy Bennett's done, and I think last year proved that. They were terrible shooting the ball, and they somehow still almost made the NCAA tournament. You just got to put your trust in him. And one more name I'm going to mention here is Augustus uh, Marshallonis. He's the son of Sarunas Marshallonis, who played in the NBA for eight or nine years, one of the top players from Lithuania ever. His son, Augustus, is going to St. Mary's this year. He's a very intriguing player to watch. I like his game quite a bit. He impressed during the FIBA U19. He was teammates with the Tubelis brothers from Arizona, and I think he's going to be a very good piece for the Gales at some point. I think he's the future of the program. I don't know if he's going to play a huge role this year, but over time, Augustus Marshallonis is going to be one of the better players for the St. Mary's Gales, if not their their best player. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, why why not try to throw him out there? You you need some scoring. I think he could probably provide a little bit of scoring pop. Uh, you know, Limit Bockler was a he shot forty three percent limited attempts. I think he could be big. You have Quinn Clinton who uh, he shot thirty six percent. Getting those two. Uh, more minutes will be good. Uh, you also have Jabe Mullins, who can uh, not an elite shooter, but he can knock it down. I think they'll they'll shoot better than they did a season ago. They weren't really in the NCAA tournament picture all that much. Uh, just too many losses it, early. In if the a few different things went their way, they would have been like had they, Let's say they don't lose to Santa Clara at home. They lost by two. So let's say they don't do that, and let's say they don't lose by two against Pepperdine. If you take those two away, 16-8, and eight, that's an NCAA tournament team. I mean, they still would have needed... 16-7, and seven, actually, because that's counting the NIT loss. So heading into the NCAA tournament, they would have been 16-7. and seven, And their worst loss would have been against Memphis. So, yeah, like... They didn't beat BYU or Gonzaga, who were... And then they got smoked by San Diego State. So they had no NCAA tournament wins. That, that's the typical St. Mary's, though. I mean, you look at what yeah. they did in, like, what, was it 2017-2018? Where yeah. uh, Syracuse and Arizona State got in over them. They went, like, 31-2 or something. Uh, what was it? 39-5, and right? That's the right year? No, that's the wrong year. My bad. 29-5? Yeah, that was the year before. They went... Uh, they went 28-5 and five after yeah. the WCC tournament. Jock Landell was on the team, Calvin Hermanson, uh, Emmett Nahr, Jordan Ford, Tanner Krebs. There was a lot of good pieces on this team, a really good team. And they just didn't play anybody in the non-conference. And they lost against Washington State. It was absolutely terrible. So that really is the reason they missed the tournament that year. And I honestly think had they made the tournament, they could have won a couple games. But they just didn't play anybody 
that was good in the non-conference, and they lost to two teams they really shouldn't have with Washington State and Georgia, and that really kept them out of the NCAA tournament. But that's what's an issue for St. Mary's has been. They don't schedule hard in the non-conference at all. And there's really no downside to it when you're a mid-major team. Just schedule. I mean, they're playing San Diego State this year, which is going to be a fun game to watch. But you need to schedule teams. You need to play in um, multi-team events. You need to you need to schedule tough. And even if you lose, you know what what's it really going to do if you're losing to a top 25 team? It's going to be yeah. a loss. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really hurt you. Yeah, and it gives you also an opportunity to get a win. Which is exactly yeah. Like if if you're destroying like let's look who they beat in the non-conference last year. Like they did play in the Bad Boy Mowers Invitational or whatever it was called. They lost to Memphis by a, a billion. Boogie Ellis looked like you know uh, first point. round pick. Yeah, he was just going off that game. Yeah. But then they like played Northern Iowa, who ended up being terrible. Uh, South Dakota State, who was pretty good. Uh, but then the, after that tournament, they played Nichols State, Texas Southern, UTEP. San Jose State, like, those are games you absolutely have to win at home, because if you lose them, then it's a terrible loss on your resume. So that's why there's really no downside to playing good teams, because if you lose to the 333rd ranked Ken Palm team, San Jose State at home, that's a terrible loss. But if you lose to, I don't know, let's look at Ken Palm's rankings last year, who was a top 25 team they could have reasonably played. They lost to 19th ranked Arizona in Ken Palm's ranking. That was the wrong year, again. Uh, good job by me there. I mean, if you lose, Arizona. You yeah, they, they, they were 29th last year. If you lose a 29th ranked Arizona and Ken Palm, not a bad loss. Yeah. Just Randy schedule harder. That's that's what it comes down to. But, I mean, with the St. Mary's team, I don't think they're an NCAA tournament team. I think Loyola Marymount's better. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, they're they're right in the same tier. I just think the WCC, kind of like it has been, I think we'll only end up getting two teams in the lead into the NCAA tournament. I think it'll be Gonzaga and BYU. Uh, but, I mean, St. Mary's, they're always tough. Uh, the defense is going to be there. Uh, and if uh, Marcellionis, uh, if Limit Blocker or someone like that can kind of step up and be a, you know, score, because this team offensively still, I don't trust necessarily to win games just offensively but I mean if they can step up and you know have a just be kind of average offensively uh it with comparison to like the other teams in their tier of Loyola Marymount and uh San Francisco I mean if they can be kind of like Loyola Marymount or San Francisco offensively with the defense they play that's going to be an NCAA tournament level team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think three teams from this conference will ultimately make the tournament. Am I going to 100% say it's going to be Loyola Marymount? No, it could be one of the next three teams because I think yeah. they're all top 75 Ken Palm teams. Yeah, I I agree with that. They, all three of these teams could sneak into the NCAA tournament. Uh, I guess now we need to get into the last of those teams. It is... San Francisco, they bring back Jamari Bouillet and Khalil Shabazz. Uh, kind of unexpected a little bit, but hey, they're they're back for another year. They have Josh Coonan who can space the floor a little bit. Uh, they have Demizi Rayuni, I think that's how you pronounce it. He's he's a you know solid uh, interior scorer. And then kind of the bigger thing that they bring in, they bring in Zane Meeks 
and Patrick Toupay, uh, who can kind of man the interior. So that was kind of the one thing last year. They didn't really have enough, you know, shot blocking inside, defense inside. Now they have that with Toupay and Zane Meeks. Yeah, uh, definitely they added a lot of size this offseason. They didn't have anybody on the roster, and I tweeted about this earlier, that averaged more than five rebounds per game. That was Dimitri Rini, I believe is, I think that's how you say it, Dimitri Rini, a really good shooter, but he's not a guy you want playing down low a ton. He's a guy you want on the perimeter to space the floor. And and San Francisco takes a ton of threes. 50% of their shots last year were from outside, and that was kind of just the team they have. They didn't have anybody to replace Jimbo Lowell. They had Rini and Tavi Yerkatam. So uh that that's what they were dealing with. But they added a lot of pieces this offseason with Ewan Masalski coming in from San Diego. 2.2 block shots a game last year, almost average a double-double. He's a very good post presence, and defensively he's going to make a big difference bringing a shot blocker, something that the Dons have not had in recent years. You add Voldemir Markovetsky from Washington State, a seven foot one guy who can really score inside, has good post moves, didn't get a ton of opportunity at Washington State, was buried on the depth chart behind F.A. Abagidi and Deshaun Jackson. And then you add Patrick Tepe from Columbia and Duke. I mean, you can say Duke, he played like one game, probably shouldn't have transferred there. And another former teammate of Tepe coming over is Gabe Stefanini. He's a really good shooter, great spot-up shooter, and can also play on the ball at times if you need him to. On this team, they probably won't need him to, but he's going to be a very good shooter. He hasn't played in two calendar years, I mean over two calendar years, since March of 2019. Uh, he suffered an injury in, uh, and missed the whole 2019-2020 season, and obviously the Ivy League didn't play last year, so he transferred to San Francisco. But this is a team I like quite a, quite a lot. There's a lot on this team. They have two really good guards starting in the lineup with Shabazz and Boye. You have Meeks, you have uh, Dimitri Rini, you have some big men inside with Masalski and Markovetsky. Uh, Julian Rishwain came in from Boston College last year and really stepped it up down, down uh, late in the season. So there's a lot of shooting on this team, and there's more of a post presence with this team. So I think they are definitely going to be very good this year. Todd Golden is one of the best young analytical coaches in college basketball, so I think that's going to be a big thing too. But, you know, it's tough picking between them and St. Mary's because they're, like, polar opposite teams. But I think that, you know, if they were to play in a game, give me me San Francisco. But I think St. Mary's ends up having a better season. But the top five in the WCC is very good. So we've gone through the top five in the conference now. Uh... We've discussed which teams will make the NCAA tournament, uh, what the questions and concerns are. Now we go into kind of the, you know, question mark area of the conference. We have Santa Clara, we have Pacific, we have uh, some other teams there. But uh, let's start out with Santa Clara. Um, The, you know, Santa Clara, they were a solid team, four and five in league play, went over 500 and, they bring be- they bring in PJ Pipes, who is a very good addition here. Uh, Keyshawn Justice, Joseph uh, Varankic is you know a solid front court. Uh, they have J- Jalen Williams, so this is still a team. I don't think they're up there with the you know teams we've already talked about here, but I think Santa Clara. If you're looking ahead to this league, I think they're solidly like the number six team in this league. Yeah, they're yeah. not a top five team, but they're definitely a, a touch above the bottom 
couple in this conference. And adding P.J. Pipes, who's one of the best shooters in college basketball, was massive coming in from Green Bay. He can make shots from NBA range, one of the best foul shooters in the country, and just really improved throughout his entire career in the Horizon League. Could have gone high major, but he decided to land at Santa Clara. Going from Wisconsin to California isn't uh, too bad at all. I mean, you go from a ton of snow to no snow. So you'll take that. Christian Carlisle is back. Jalen Williams and Keyshawn Justice, as you said. Joseph Brankett should be a first-team all-conference guy. Again, another guy who could have transferred using his super senior year, but instead decided to come back to the program where he spent his entire career. Really valued, uh, you know, just staying where he started and finishing out what he started trying to make an NCAA tournament. Brankic can stretch the floor. He's just a very good overall player. And then Danilo Juricic coming in from Harvard. He had, he was another guy with a ton of interest. He can stretch the floor, good size. He's going to be a good depth piece for the Santa Clara team. Uh, overall, the depth on this team isn't great. You know, you can really only go like seven deep of guys that are proven and then you're relying on a lot of freshmen. But the starting lineup is really good, and I think this could be one of the better starting lineups in the conference. But depth-wise, is going to be a big-time problem for this team. Wouldn't surprise me to see them steal a couple of games but uh, from the top upper couple teams in the conference, but they're definitely below the top five. Yeah. Uh they bring in Parker Brown, uh, who uh, played at Missouri, so that's that's Brother an interesting Brown. Yeah, uh, so that that's a solid addition. He can kind of play minutes, maybe back up at the five there. But I mean, you you look at this team. I think Varankin, uh, Keyshawn Justice. I mean, that's a kind of very solid front court there uh, with those two. You have PJ Pipes who can shoot the heck out of the ball. I mean. The, the, he might be one of the t- 10 best shooters in college basketball. He, oh, yeah. he just he shoots the crap out of the basketball. Uh, you have Jalen Williams, who uh, it's kind of a decent wing. I, the Varenkin, uh Keyshawn Justice, Jalen Williams front court, they're all not great shooting, but they can all like space the floor just a little bit. But they, they all have the size that you kind of need. Uh, and then you have P.J. Pipes, who just absolute – Sniper from deep. Uh, you have Gordon Williams who can knock down threes. Probably, uh, aside from PJ Pipes, the best shooter on the team. Uh, you know, you have Christian Kalari. So, I mean, this is a team that I don't think is an NCAA tournament team, but can this team, you know, maybe keep a loyal Marymount or a San Francisco or St. Mary's from making the NCAA tournament because they beat them. I think this is a team that can do that. Herb Sindic has a solid rotation uh, and you know, it's, it's a decent team. Not an elite team, not a NCAA tournament contender, but one that I think will win uh, their fair share of games and you know potentially make a CBI or something like that. Yeah, I think they could be an NIT level team if things break correctly. Uh, there's talent obviously, but they're just, they're not top five. But the the fact that they're six in this conference, I think they're a top 110 Palm team speaks to the depth of the conference this year. Yeah. And I, I think they're, I think that, yeah, they finished sixth in the league a season ago. They improved uh, from last season. I think this is a WCC, you know, could, the, could this team challenge Gonzaga game at home or something like that? I think maybe they could, you know, give them a first half there. I think the league, though, this just kind of speaks to the overall depth of the league that you have, like, this Santa Clara team who might be a top 100 team, 
you know, in Kempom might even crack the top 75 and more talking about them as the sixth best team in the league shows the league has improved from a season ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up, we have Pacific. Uh, they came in both at, or they were number seven in both of our rankings here, but uh, they bring in Alfonso Anderson from Utah, uh, who, who can come in and score. They have Pierre Cockrell, the uh, second, uh, who was solid a season ago. So, I mean, th- this is a team, uh, obviously, a new head coach, Leonard Perry, just stepping into the shoes. There, there's a lot to kind of question, but this is still a Pacific team. I don't think the bottom falls out uh, with the team, even despite losing Damon Stoudemire. Yeah, Stoudemire obviously joining the Celtics staff with the uh, Ime or yeah, Ime Udoka at, with the Celtics as their new head coach. Stoudemire is an assistant on that staff, and you know Pacific they're going to try keeping the culture going under former assistant Leonard Perry. And last year they really struggled shooting the ball from deep, only twenty nine percent, twenty nine point seven percent, which I believe is the exact same percentage as St. Mary's, by the way. But uh, Jeremiah Bailey is back. He was one of their best shooters, but only at 33%. I think he can improve shooting-wise this season. But two guys that are really going to help improve the shooting is Luke uh, Luke Abdelovich, uh, coming in from Northern Arizona, former teammate of Cameron Shelton, who's at Loyola Marymount. Abdelovich can just absolutely shoot the ball from deep, one of the best spot-up shooters in the conference. Shot over 40% each of his seasons uh, with the Lumberjacks. And then they add uh, Caleb Wilson-Rouse, who was a honorable mention All-American at the JUCO level last year. Really good guard who can score. Uh, shot over 40% from deep and 90% from the foul line. He's going to be a nice difference maker, probably off the bench. Had a great season for New Mexico Military Institute last year. Nick Blake. Coming in from UNLV, I think he's a really high upside guy whose potential is just through the roof. I, I'm excited to see what he ends up doing. I think if UNLV was able to keep him, that would have been big. But instead, he comes to WCC, and I think he's going to play a major role. Sam Freeman coming in from Minnesota. Uh, Jordan or Jordan Bell occupying the five spot for this team. Alfonso Anderson, former sixth man of the year in the Mountain West. I think this is a solid team. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think they have the upside some of the other teams in the conference have, which is why they're seventh. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think they're like, they're closer to me to the, you know, San Diego, you know, Pepper, I, I'd say Pepperdine, Portland, or a tier below, but they're, they're closer at least to San Diego than they are to Santa Clara. I think Santa Clara is like, Six with ink, Sharpie, pen. I think Pacific's kind of closer in that, like San Diego tear, who uh, solid can win some games, maybe upset, you know, a St. Mary's or something like that. But I just don't see the high upside with this team. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, next up, we have San Diego. They went two and seven, uh, finished 10th in uh the West Coast Conference a season ago, uh, but you know, new, new season brings you know some new potential. Uh, they lose Ahmed Ali, who was their leading scorer. Uh, they have Josh Paris, uh, Joey Kalkatara, uh, Vladimir Punchik. Uh, that Punchik is going to occupy the inside. You have some solid option at the guard spots. You have Jace Townsend, who can uh, who will come in. They have Marcellus. Erlington, who will probably play minutes at the four. So, uh, Puchik, Erlington, Jace Townsend, uh, Kalker Tech, and Josh Paris 
probably going to be the starting five for this team. But yeah, this is a not an elite team by any means. Yeah, Townsend was very good for Denver last season. Had some high major interest. Scored 19 a game last year in the Summit League. I think he's going to be one of the more dynamic scorers in the conference. Marcellus Erlington, obviously from St. John's. I think he's in for a big year. Can defend and can shoot the ball. Terrell Brown, also an underrated addition. Spent four seasons at Pittsburgh. You know, was just a, a defender with some size. I think that he's going to be more on this team, show more of an offensive skill set. I'm curious to see what he does. And Bryce Monroe, who has four seasons of eligibility remaining after transferring from Sam Houston State, averaged 10 points a game in his freshman year with the Bearcats. And then Wayne McKinney is a freshman and I think could play a good role because of his defensive ability. This is a, this is a much improved Terrero's team from last season. Definitely still some, definitely still uh, have a ways to go before they're even in the top five. But this is a very improved team from last year, and this is an intriguing program because who wouldn't want to live in San Diego? I mean, they're going to continue attracting transfer talent, and I think you know this is just a step in the right direction. Yeah, you. I mean, maybe you'd want to live in Pepperdine or something like that, but I mean, San Diego is. In terms of a city, I mean, you, you don't get much better. Maybe there's an earthquake or something, but when I mean, the weather's nice and warm, and uh, you're right there on the beach, so I mean, San Diego underrated place to um, go to school, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Yeah, but uh, they're going to be solid, and uh, you never know. And at the very least, if you're Marcellus Erlington or uh, Jace Townsend, you get to live a year in San Diego, so that's that's always a benefit. Oh yeah, for sure. I I agree. I'd love to live in San Diego. Yeah, even just for a year. Yeah. Uh, Pepperdine, they lose Kessler Edwards, Colby Ross, who were basically the backbone of the team that won the CBI championship. Uh, they're they're not going to be a good team. No, this team's terrible. Uh, that that was a little mean. They're not they're not good. I mean, they they won the CBI last year. Props to them, beating out Coastal Carolina. But uh, Mike Mitchell, I think, is the future of this program. Jade Smith coming back. He's probably going to be the leading scorer. Keith Fisher and Braun Hartfield coming in via the transfer portal. But yeah, this is a bad team. I mean, they're just not going to be very good this season. Yeah, but they'll probably be better than uh, Portland. Uh, but mm. Yeah, Lorenzo Romar, I don't really trust him. I do sh- trust Shante Leans, although uh, if if you're, I mean, Jack Perry, Chris Austin, Michael Meadows, I mean, if that's your superstars, you're in trouble. I mean, Portland's going to also be pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, Portland has 13 new scholarship players. Not a single player from last year is back, and I'm not sure the team got better. And that's saying a lot because they were really bad last year. Uh, like you said, add Mike Meadows, Tyler Robertson, and Jack Perry who came with Shantae Leggins from Eastern Washington. I think Leggins is just way better of a coach than Terry Porter. So that that's a good addition. Christian Zolund, who started his career at Georgia Tech and then spent last year at UTEP. Matias Silveria spent a year at JUCO and uh, started his career at Austin P. He's a seven-footer. Moses Wood spent a year at UNLV, started his career at Tulane. So some some multi-time transfers, and then three uh, overseas freshman recruits coming in also. Those are going to be what Leggins hopes to build a program around probably. But, yeah, this team is a big-time work in progress, and it's going to be some time before they're out of the bottom 
three or four in the conference. I mean, they're, they're, they've got a long ways to go. Absolutely. And, uh, for Portland, they didn't win a single conference game a year ago. So if they win even one conference game this season, they're improving. Oh yeah. That, that's how you got to look about it. But yeah, Portland's going to struggle. Let's move on here. It is time to hand out some awards. We will have player of the year. Um, I'm going to go with Drew Timmy, which is about the only one that was up in the air, uh, because we knew Sean was dr- choosing Drew Timmy, uh, from last season. So Drew Timmy, player of the year. Yeah, he's the best player in the country by a long shot, not even close. So that's all I need to say. Yeah. Um, uh, his toughest competition is on his own team. Defensive player of the year, it is his teammate, Chet Holmgren. Uh, yeah, I think he, he's going to use his 12-foot-6 wingspan and just block a ton of shots. Uh, he's going to be a good help side defender if, you know, let's say Drew Timmy lets a guard get by him. Uh, Chet Holmgren's going to be right there to use his giant wingspan to block shots. And, yeah, he's a good shot blocker. Uh, you know, if he was in the Big Ten going against those tough post players, he would still probably block all their shots. But I mean, I guess they're they maybe can muscle him a little bit on the post uh, before getting their shot blocked. Uh, against the WCC, he'll 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 have a field day every time. Yeah, may, maybe if he's facing like a 250 pound guy with a ton of strength, he could have some problems. But just some of the shots he blocked in the FIBA U19 was just incredible, going from, like, the the mid-range area all the way to the perimeter and blocking shots. You see, he's a special talent, and he's going to block probably three shots a game. Yeah, like, if if it's Purdue and Gonzaga in the Final Four, like, Trevion Williams might just back him down all day long and then throw up, like, a post hook, and then uh, Chet Holmgren's going to be just – magically have his hand uh, at the apex of the ball and be like, not in my house. Oh, yeah. Uh, coach of the year. I went with Todd Golden. Uh, why not? He's he's the uh, coach of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may as well pick him for coach of the year. Yeah, I mean, he is one of the best coaches in the, in the history of basketball, probably, of course. I mean – you know, we were talking about Todd Golden a year ago, so this is we're big Todd Golden fans. But I went with Stan Johnson here. He's able to get Loyola Marymount in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1990. He deserves the award. Yeah, I, I would agree. If, if Loyola Marymount makes the NCAA tournament, if San Francisco makes the NCAA tournament, if either one of those teams make the NCAA tournament, that's your coach of the year. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know when the last time San Francisco made the tournament, but it it seems like it's been a long time. Yeah, probably since the Bill Russell days. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me. I, I genuinely have no idea when they last made the tournament. Yeah, I, I don't either. Uh, freshman of the year. I mean, do we? This is pretty obvious. It's Chet Holmgren. Um, we we just uh, discussed how he's going to use his gigantic arms to block Trevion Williams, so mm-hmm. uh, he should have no trouble blocking. Michael Meadows and Chris Austin. Yeah, 1998, by the way, for San Francisco. Oh, it was, it was uh, sooner than I thought. Yeah, I mean, only like 30 years after Bill Russell played there, but. Yeah. That's a, a short time ago. 
Not so really. Anyway, I mean, that was like 24 years ago. Yeah. Something like Is that. Is that math correct? No, it's not at all correct. It's like 23 years. But by but next tournament, it'll be 24. 24. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. See, I, I'm a math expert. And anybody that knows me uh, personally, if you're listening, anybody that knows me, you, you know I'm just the best at math for sure. Yeah. Excellent math there. So it's going yeah. to be a 24-year drought that Todd Golden breaks this year. I would be in, you know. It, things are the the Bay Area needs needs a basketball team, and there you go. I mean, they're better. Put put San Francisco against the Golden State Warriors, and I think Jamari Boye drops fifty on Steph Curry. Yeah, I mean Jamari Boye, Steph Curry. I mean, who's the real best team in San Francisco? It's certainly not the Warriors. Exactly. Like like, are you telling me you think James Wiseman, who played two games in college, can contain you and Masalski? I don't think so. Yeah, and uh, Zane Meeks, uh, Patrick Toupe, I mean, they're just going to dominate it inside. I mean, like, like Draymond Green is scared to take a three. Like, they could leave him wide open. He's just in a brick threes all day, probably break a, break a backboard with his vicious, uh, just tosses threes at the rim, just bricks all day. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, newcomer of the year. I went with Tejon Lucas out of BYU. There's... I think a lot of options for this. This is probably the award most up in there, but I went with Lucas. I think he'll get kind of the most uh, attention uh, just being, I think, a secondary score to Alex Barcelo. Yeah, uh, I'm going with Cam Shelton from Loyola Marymount. He'll lead them to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 1990. So There you go. Uh, so that will wrap it up for this episode of Making the Madness, uh, college basketball podcast. Uh, s- send us a review. We, we, we don't love doing Twitter poll questions. Uh, just kidding. It, it does bring interactions. Uh, but please just, just send a review. We'll have your, uh, your conference previewed. We, if multiple people send their review, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll do your conference still. So, uh, make sure to send the review. That way we can uh, discuss your conference. Uh, anything else before we sign off here, Sean? No, no, no. That's it. Yeah, leave the review, people. Just do it. Uh, that will wrap up for this edition of the Making Madness College Basketball Podcast. Uh, we will be back next week with a um, question mark of the next conference. But uh, until then, stay tuned.